Good evening. Um, I want to first start off and just thank you uh, to the church and to Josh so much for allowing me to preach. My wife and I were new here. We just joined just a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was remarking to her just how excited I am to be part of a church that allows young men who feel called to preach and teach the opportunity to preach and to teach. Um, Being out in the world, it is a rare opportunity to find a church that is committed to that. that. We're going to be looking in the Beatitudes like we have been in the sermon series. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be speaking about mercy. While I was preparing for this sermon, um, all these thoughts... We're coming in because this subject really started to get me excited. So I might talk really fast and we'd be done in 15 minutes or I might ramble on for two hours. So just bear with me. Before we begin, I'm going to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the ability to gather as a congregation And to read through your word, to learn from your word, and to grow through your word. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that this text would confront us in ways that it has never before. That it would begin to seep through our brain and and to, to just flow out of us, your word. Lord, I pray that that I would decrease and you would increase, and it wouldn't be me here, but I would hide behind your cross, Lord, and that you would just take over. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you so much for your mercy. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. Before we begin, um, I just want to mention, this is the first beatitude that is calling for an outward action. So just keep that in mind. Previously, the first Beatitudes really have been about our relationship with God. Um, And we'll go over that a bit more. But now we're seeing that Jesus is saying what we must do outward. And there's four things that I really want to focus on and talk about as we uh, look at this passage more. And then the four things is first, what does the word merciful mean? The second thing that I want to talk about is God is our example of mercy. Three, how does one become merciful? And four, what does this mean for Christians today? Now, if we go back and look at a little bit more context, chapter four, we see um, Jesus is being tempted by Satan right before his ministry. And then right after that, verse 12, he withdrew in the Galilee and verse 17, he began to preach. So, Jesus is going through Galilee and beginning to preach about the kingdom of God and to repent because it is his hand. Verse 18 in the same chapter, he begins to call out his disciples. He begins to call out um, his, uh, Simon, his brother, James and John. Verse 23, he is continuing throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, The gospel, the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. At this moment, you can imagine being a Jew in this area and hearing about this man who is going throughout the area and (laughs) preaching about the kingdom of God and healing afflictions and diseases, casting out demons. 
How exciting would this be at this moment? He begins uh, in verse 24. It says that his fame spread throughout all Assyria. They started to bring the sick to him so that they might heal him. So I can imagine um, ever since you were young as a Jew, you hear about uh, a savior coming to set up a kingdom. Could this be that savior? Um, historically, where are we? Well, we know that the Roman Empire, if you can imagine, this, this Roman might, this, this general um, power has control over of Jerusalem. Um, but even before that, uh, there's hundreds of years of exile, of, of rule. So you have this history from the Persians, the Hesmines, to the Romans, a powerful might of just control. So that's where we are historically. So you, we see in Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there's a crowd following Jesus. And this is the first recorded sermon that we have. And before, like we said, there's a great buzz about Jesus. Who is this man? What is he about to do? And the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. I can imagine if Jesus had a PR person. He's just shaking his head, saying, Jesus, what are you doing? You have them, you have them at their fingertips. It's time to create a buzz. Let's get them excited. But that's not what Jesus did. We read... We see that um, these people are expecting, like we've said in previous sermons, if you've heard, they were expecting this earthly kingdom. That's not what uh, that's not what Jesus had in mind. If we read, you don't have to turn there. Well, we'll go with that in a second. So we'll start with Romans, Matthew chapter five, one through six. Well, we'll start with two. Um, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, for they shall be satisfied. In our previous sermons, if you haven't heard them or if you weren't here, if you don't remember, if you had to go back and listen to them a couple of times to get them like I did, we see that that it's done that we've done um, that the sermons have done a great job of explaining what is going on here. The word blessed meaning more than just happy, but being satisfied, being fulfilled in these things. And blessed are the poor in spirit when you're broken over your sin. Blessed are those who mourn because my sin is ever before me. And in the last sermon, Troy did a great job explaining what meek means. Having control, but having this great power, but under control. He used the analogy of a horse and a jockey. Much power, but under control. In verse 6, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be satisfied. So we end up in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. My first question when reading this verse is, how did the Jews take this? We've talked a little bit about what the Jews were expecting. Someone to set an earthly kingdom 
that's true, but I want to speak a little bit more about mercy and what they expected it. If we look back, and you don't have to turn there, but the last verse in Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. The last verse, it says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children, and the hearts of children to the fathers. Least I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. The Old Testament ends on a warning, a curse, if you will. And Jesus' ministry begins with blessings. He says, I, I, I can imagine being, being a Jew here and saying, well, how are we going to break away from the Roman rule by showing mercy? How are we going to um, get out of bondage by being merciful? So again, the Jews had a completely different understanding from what Jesus was teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. We also see how important mercy is in Jesus' ministry. If you just think back, or if you flip up a couple of pages, Matthew nine thirteen says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Stories and parables, such as Matthew 23, which we'll go over in a moment, about the unforgiving servant. This isn't something that Jesus just mentions once throughout his ministry, but it's something that he focused on. Before we get started with uh, the four points that I want to talk about, I want to point out a couple of things that the text is not saying. The first thing I want to say is uh, the text is not teaching that we must somehow merit or earn mercy. Jesus is not teaching that somehow through our actions, through just forgiving, being nice, helping other people, that we're going to earn God's mercy. I will unpack this a little bit more in a moment. But if we see something like 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So it's this great mercy that causes us to be born again and to grant, have this mercy. But if we see also Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another, another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. So this forgiveness comes before we can, we, we can have this mercy. The second thing I want to say that this verse is not teaching is mercy is somehow an action only or a feeling only. That's something I had to struggle with whenever I was reading this, or trying to uh, write down this sermon, was is this more of an action or is this more of a feeling? What is Jesus trying to convey to his disciples here? Well, unlike, the, it's not just the action. That's what the Pharisees thought. Going through these things somehow, and it goes back to meriting mercy. Somehow if I do these things, I will merit mercy. And it's not just a feeling that leads to nothing. That's just cold and dead orthodoxy that we see of just a feeling not leading to action. So like I said, these four points I want to talk about. The first, what does the word mercy, merciful mean? Well, I will be the first person to tell you that I don't know Greek. And I don't know how to speak Greek. And lucky for me, most of you probably don't know Greek. Um, but after I say this word, you're, you will know for sure that I don't know Greek. 
The word merciful in the Greek is used as elomun. It means to have mercy on, to help one afflicted, to bring help to the wretched. It's only used one other time in the New Testament in this form. It's, it's in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. You don't have to turn there if you just listen. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We can see first in Hebrews 2.17, Jesus lived a sinless life so that he may become this. He came down and became and gave and was merciful so that he may become a merciful high priest. It was necessary that he came down to bring mercy. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. The verb form of this word, just mercy, is used more than 30 times in the New Testament. This idea of mercy is very broad, which is why I said I might ramble again and again. But it's very specific. It's more than mercy that we know of it. It's more than pity. It's more than than anything that we can really comprehend. It's compassion leading to this action that we have. We also, for a moment, need to understand how the word was used in the Old Testament to really grasp what this word meant to the Jews then. In the Old Testament, we, used, we see it used being used in different forms. We don't have a great translation for it. Many times the Old Testament is translated into mercy, gracious, to show, to show pity. It takes many different forms. And it's shown not only as a characteristic, characteristic of God, an action of God, but motivation behind God's dealing with His people, who God is. We've been in Exodus, so I'm going to jump ahead in Exodus a little bit. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. I don't want to spoil this, because we're going to be in it soon, but this is after... Um, the golden calf where God's people are, are, um, are in idolatry, worshiping a made image. And Moses has just uh, come to God asking not to leave and then asked to see God's glory. And then his name is proclaimed. And it says in verse 6, chapter 34, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. The first thing mentioned about God to Moses is is how merciful he is. It's who God is and his dealing towards the people. And we see that mercy kind of fleshed out as being the motivation of God sometimes. We see in the New Testament, Titus 3, verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. He saved us. So here we see mercy being that motivation. It's a characteristic of God. It is that feeling of love, of pity more than a feeling, but compassion leading to action. 
So now we have a little bit of understanding of, of the word merciful. We see that Jesus is, is asking this of his disciples, of us today. That we must understand what mercy is and, 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 and do that as well. That everything that we are, all of our thoughts, all of our actions towards other people come from a merciful motivation. The second thing I want to talk about, which leads into this, is God is our picture of mercy. How concerned with mercy is Jesus? If you would turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 31. Verse 31. We're actually going to start with verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to do something. It's right before the Mount of Olives. And this story, among others in the New Testament, I could go on and on, is Jesus showing his mercy. If we see just right here, them asking for mercy, and it says, Jesus in pity within himself, Healed them. He could have, and it would have been completely understandable for him to say something like, I'm a little too busy for that right now. I need to go die for your sins. So the thing you don't need to worry about is your blindness or your deafness, because that's not your main concern right now. It's your sins. And that would have been understandable. But God was moved to mercy. His pity moved him to mercy. And he healed them, and then they followed him. We also see God being merciful in the Old Testament. Isaiah 63, 9. Says this. In all their afflictions... He was afflicted. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. We see God in the Old Testament in this specific instance of mercy, forgiving the afflicted. But not only that, going one step further, and carrying them the rest of the way. So we see that God does this all. 
And if we even want to make the connection, Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We see Jesus... Um, we see when Jesus came down to be the high priest, he knows, he is, he is able to understand in every respect like we are. So now we can draw through him confidence to gain mercy because of his great mercy. So that begs the question, when we read this verse, how do I become merciful? How do I do this? If God has instructed me to be merciful, that's something that I want to do. Well, brothers and sisters, the first thing I would say is it's nothing that you can do. It's only when you have received mercy can you become merciful. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a who was a Christian preacher, and said this, and I think he was talking about works, Christian works, but I also believe it applies to this very well. A Christian is something before he does something. Very simple. Means a Christian, in this instance, doesn't give mercy until he knows mercy, until he is the object of mercy by God. And only then can he do that. Can he give mercy? We first must receive mercy. If we just look back, Matthew chapter 5, we see this line of repentance and gaining a right relationship with the Lord. We look back to the previous Beatitudes Jesus spoke of and we say, Lord, my spirit is broken because of what I've done. We begin to mourn over our sins. We, we begin to mourn over our sins. Because it's ever before us. We meekly come to God and say, there's nothing I have, Lord. There's nothing I have that I can give you. It's all of you. We understand. We understand that. We begin to thirst after God and His righteousness. And that's the only way that we can be satisfied. Then we receive mercy. And we see everyone else, Lord. And you say, I didn't deserve mercy. They didn't deserve, they don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve mercy. So we become merciful. Micah read it today, earlier. It's only after we say something like Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my sin. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly with my, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We see that mercy comes first. And I want to end with some quick applications to this. What does mercy look like for Christians today? And the first thing that came to my head when writing this down was that I probably shouldn't stay too long here because... I would just be preaching to myself. 
Um, the first thing it has to do is with our acts around other people. And the thing that came to my mind the most was in my marriage and how much I fall short of giving mercy to my wife and being merciful without wanting something in return and having all my actions begin there. I'm sure most of the Beatitudes would convict me to no end, but I know this one has. The next thing that we should do as Christians, a practical application, is pray for the lost. If we need to be merciful, if we're called to be merciful, we need to look out and see these people who are lost and pray for, their, pray for God to bring mercy upon them. And then the last application, real quick, is to share the gospel. Because that's where the ultimate mercy comes from. And only from God. If you look to Jude, it's the last book in your Bible before Revelation. It's a short book, only one chapter. Verse 23, it says this. We'll start with verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. So these people were waiting for God's mercy. That leads to eternal life. Verse 22 says this, And have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23, Save others by snatching them from the fire. This image of people who are headed to hell... And we are here snatching them from the fire. That's what we're called to do as Christians. Share the gospel, proclaim his name, and snatch those from the fire. I'll end on this, this story from my own life. I think it has practical applications here. Um, I don't know how many people know this, but I was, I was on mission for about eight months in China. And my main role was to backpack through these small villages and try to find people to share the gospel with so that the missionary who lives there could come in, try to plant churches. One of my um, most heartbreaking times there was one of the few times I had a translator uh, with me. We were walking and this man invited me in. I was hungry, and he gave me food, and he was merciful to me. And we began to talk about the gospel for about an hour or so. And we get down for me, and it was getting late, so I I was ending it, and I said, and I called him for repentance. And he said, we got up, and he said, he showed me his house, and he said, is this the right direction that it should be? Said, I really didn't understand what he meant. And through the translator, we were able to understand that a spiritual man, for lack of better words, um, in his village said that if he points his house this way, that he would gain some type of favor, some type of mercy, if you will, so his crops will be better. And I said, that's not what this is about. You need to look at your sin because judgment will come. So we walk up, he wants to show me this, we walk up this hillside and we see 
um, like a gravestone. And he said, this is where my mom is built or buried. Um, I buried her right here so she could see the sun coming down. Do I need to move her for some, some way for her? What would be the best way to, what would be the best place to put her for her? And my heart broken at this moment because I didn't see where this could be going. I just said, listen, your mom would want you to repent because judgment is coming. Um, and he just couldn't grasp that. And the reason why I tell that story now, because it can seem so far away, but there are people in Fairdale, there are people in Louisville, there are people here that think that if they just do something, some act, they will receive mercy outside of God. If they just move here, if they just uh, say a couple words, be nice, be merciful, they will receive some type of mercy, some type of favor from the Lord. And that's not what this is preaching. That's not what Jesus was saying. The ultimate act of mercy is to share the gospel because that's where the ultimate act of mercy comes from, from Lord, from repentance. I pray that the Lord would convict you of that as He convicted me of that. I just pray for mercy and more mercy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for time in your word, Lord. And I pray that through my rambling and my, my uh, disconnections, Lord, that you were able to speak somehow. That you're a big enough God for that. I pray that you would continue to work in my life. Convict me in ways that I need to be convicted and grow me in ways I need to grow. Lord, just continue to show me what it means to be merciful. Lord, we thank you so much for today. In your son's name I pray. Amen.